we are ready to start the show. I know I heard everyone, so we don't need to do an extra mic check. Hello and welcome to Next to Nothing, a podcast for gamers on a budget. I am your host, Danny Kay. With me, as always, my wonderful, beautiful co-host, Mr. Green Elite. How are you doing today? Oh, stop it, you. I'm doing good. I, I, I'm working out the kinks of this new Go XLR. So uh, hopefully I'm doing pretty good. It sounds fucking beautiful. We have a lot of new mics on the uh, show this week. Uh, Padre also got a mic. How are you doing, Padre? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Danny? I am doing fantastic. I cannot complain. I have a short week this week. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to blowing some shit up this weekend. Uh, We do that right uh we do have some guests this week we have john and ryan from the game deflators how are you guys doing good man how are you doing fantastic uh so for those who don't know who the game deflators are what the game deflators is uh why don't you guys uh plug the show and tell people where they can find it and where they can find you guys individually and all the other cool stuff you guys do that's good, man. Yeah, so we're a couple gamers out of Arizona, and uh, our podcast, we generally talk about retro game collecting, uh, games that we're currently playing, games we recently picked up, modern stuff news, and just pretty much anything in the world of gaming. We do have some episodes where we'll talk about uh, D&D occasionally, uh, as well as um, you know general top five lists and that type of stuff. Uh, as far as trying to find us anywhere, you can catch us on any major podcast application. So Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're on there. And uh, find us on social media. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us as at Game Deflators on Twitter and at The Game Deflators on Facebook and Instagram. Excellent. Uh, Ryan, anything you want to add there? John kind of stole my intro bit there. Damn right I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we're just trying to get out there in the podcast realm. Uh, thanks so much for having us on your guys' show. We love a chance to interact with some other people in the community and, you know, team up. Yeah, no, it's a it's a pleasure to have you guys. I will say I have listened to several episodes of your guys' show. Very high quality. I love your guys' commentary and your reviews. Uh, this is an official endorsement from me uh, for you guys to uh, go check out the Game Deflators. Um, before the show starts, I really want to thank you guys for uh, coming and watching and listening and joining us live. Of course, you guys are the reason we do this, and we hope you guys get all the information and entertainment you expect out of us this week. Um, last week was our official 100th episode, and it totally slipped my fucking mind. Um, and I just wanted to thank everyone for uh, watching and listening to the show, even back to those really old fucking episodes. I want to thank all of my co-hosts, past and present, Revsven, uh, Green Elite, uh, Renditions, Spectissa, Proc. Thank you guys all so much for helping me uh, produce the show. It's been a it's been a pleasure, and it's been very special to me. Um, if you guys miss any part of the show tonight, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are found. And for our YouTube viewers out there, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this week's question, which is, what is the worst game you've picked up during a Steam summer sale? 
What asset flip trash, obscure retro garbage, or triple A flop did you pick up for a cheap ass price and immediately regret even spending that? Let us know in the comments of the section if you guys want to reach out to us on Twitter as well. You guys can hit me up at Danny K, D A N I E C A E. And without any further delay, let's talk about The Last of Us Part Two from uh, John here. All right, sounds good, man. So I'm going to try to give as much of a spoiler-free review as I can on The Last of Us 2. I believe our, uh, our buddy Green here has not actually played it. He's looking forward to it. He's heard a lot of things from Metacritic and Facebook and Instagram on uh, a lot of hate, a lot of good stuff. So try and lay it down here as, uh, as to what my thoughts were. So I want you to kind of picture this from a perspective of an Oscar film. Okay, and I'm not saying that from... You know, that's my viewpoint on The Last of Us as an Oscar nominated film and the story is, you know, so great that it deserves a nomination, right, for Game of the Year, whatever it may be. What I'm saying by that is, have you guys ever, you know, I'm talking to you guys right now on the podcast. Uh, have you ever gone to see like an Oscar nominated film and you just come out of it and you're like, what the hell was that on the story? It was complete trash, but for some reason, it just always gets like great reviews. Like, you guys familiar with that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So... I kind of look at it from that perspective, and it's not necessarily that I saw it as a terrible story because I actually love the story. I love the gameplay. I love the cinematics that were tied to the game. I look at it from when you look at all the complaints out there on Metacritic, the review bombing that's occurred, uh, you know, the overall, well, the story was crap. I didn't like the characters. Uh, I didn't like how you had to um, play multiple characters throughout the game. And you start looking at that. And, and actually, after you beat the game, you try to understand what you actually just played and there's a lot of anger there's a lot of love tied into it depression frustration when you get to that ending of this game and the best way to put it is when you walk out of an oscar nominated film you look at it and you say the acting was phenomenal you know the overall cinematography was great but maybe i didn't understand the story fully does that truly indicate that the game was terrible or is that an indication of i just don't understand what i just played so that's really the way I've been approaching this. And I can tell you that in multiple perspectives that you see throughout this game, uh, whether it's through Ellie or other characters that you get to play as throughout the title or throughout the game, it's, it's just phenomenal. I mean, overall, you're getting to see different opinions, different perspectives, different types of gameplay. The characters all have their own different movements uh, that are just fluid. So one particular character... That's specifically, you know, killing a, a clicker or a shambler. Uh, the way that they kill it may be different from the way another character kills it. And that in itself was pretty impressive while I was playing it. Uh, some of the things that I did not like while playing The Last of Us 2 were you're kind of forced to like some characters. And I don't look at that from, you know, we, we all know about the whole divisiveness of you know, the LGBTQ portion of it and and the girlfriend and all that with ellie uh, what i'm looking at from that is you know again going back to a movie when you leave a movie oftentimes you say i didn't like that character i didn't like how they were portrayed similar situation here so there are characters that are kind of forced while you're playing the game and you may not necessarily like them or agree with them but at the end of the day that doesn't really have an indication or doesn't really have a a huge impact on the overall story so in my mind, you know, I saw this as a nine out of 10 game purely based on there's a lot of emotions that go into it. Uh, when you leave this game, 
it's an emotional roller coaster when it's all said and done. Uh, there are multiple endings. Uh, some people say it could have ended on one section, uh, but it really kind of progresses through. And during that time, you get to see the different pieces uh, that kind of lay down the groundwork for what you're playing in Last of Us 2. It gives you a full-blown understanding of the background of Ellie's story, uh, characters within a game and their stories, and so on. Uh, so my opinion, like I said, 9 out of 10. There's a lot going on with this game. A lot that people just aren't understanding. There's a lot of depth to it that I feel a lot of people don't understand. And it's honestly getting a lot more hate than it probably should, just based on that. So I'll leave that open for you guys. I know there's a, a YouTube, I believe, going on right now, some comments. So I don't know if you got some questions you want to field based on my overall experience playing, and I can hopefully answer something. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll take a look over here at, at the Twitch channel and see if there's anything. Um, I did have one question, and I saw this take. Um, I saw this take on Twitter, and I kind of wanted to pose this to you because I haven't really seen that many people talk about it. Uh, in terms of how the story is told, do you think how the characters are presented or um, how the story is presented in the uh, linear fashion, do you think that is a larger flaw uh, or maybe could have been um, fixed a lot of the narrative issues that the game does have if they interspersed and and mix things up a little bit i'm hopefully so, I'm, hopefully i'm getting across cohesively because i'm trying not to be spoilery for anyone yeah yeah there. i i kind of i kind of get you what you're saying you're saying instead of playing one half of the game maybe as like one particular character and then playing the other half as another particular character if it was intertwined with maybe a couple hours here a couple hours there would have been better is that kind of what you're saying yeah yeah okay yeah, no, I, I would say no. I, I would say that the way that the story is laid out, while I can see where there would be some repetitiveness in how it's played out, um, I think that that's needed for a general understanding of the story, right? So it, I hate to, it's not really a spoiler necessarily, but the way that it's played out, it's kind of like playing the same game, game twice, uh, the way it's played out. And I kind of liked that. I liked being able to you know, see what I had explored and then revisit it from a separate set of eyes. That was that was honestly a really cool piece of it versus being in one section and then fragmenting and going to another section. And I think that would jumble up the story a bit. Uh, there was also something else I read recently that said that The Last of Us 2 is supposed to have a lot more open world elements and that that was kind of shot down in favor of having a more linear approach and allowing the story to progress. And I really feel that with something of that nature as well, uh, taking out that open world feel, while there is an open world type setting and you do kind of get that, there's only so much cloth and rubbing alcohol and liquor I can pick up to make weapons, you know, throughout a game and only so many notes and uh, collectible cards that you can pick up throughout the game. So I think that the approach a Naughty Dog took of making this more of a linear narrative focus was a better move. And the way that it was split up versus going through that, you know, intermittent going back and forth between characters. I think that I think it was the right move, to be honest. And after you play it once or twice, whatever it may be, you probably get a better understanding and and a feeling for that as you go through. Gotcha. Um so we, we've talked about the story and I think you've mentioned some of the graphics and some of the more technical aspects of it. Um, do you think the the graphics and the high fidelity, the art style, um, do you feel like that is all 
above what you were expecting? Is it about what you were expecting? Or is it a little below what you were expecting for the amount you know, of marketing? Kind of have mixed feelings on it because, you know, I do know that they push a PS4 Pro to its limits. Uh, but at the same time, you know, when you're playing a game, say like a Final Fantasy and has cinematic cutscenes, right? And you're getting, you know, a high quality game, but then you have these high end cinematics, like really high end cinematics. And then you get into something like Last of Us, where the full game in general kind of has that same style of graphics, right? It's not like we're going to cut off and we have a cinematic scene and all of a sudden it's like higher know cinematography compared to what you're typically playing throughout the game like it's all pretty consistent from what i played and, and from what i my viewpoint on it so i would say that i wasn't expecting more i wish there was a little bit more in terms of the graphical boundaries that it hit okay um in terms of like the marketing of the game do you feel like overall it was representative of what you got Oh, I see where you're going with this. Uh, no, so I honestly went through this game from the very beginning with zero spoilers. So, uh, you know, Green can attest to this as well. If you're going in as fresh with no spoilers, you're going to enjoy the game, I feel, a lot more than if you were hit with spoilers. So I didn't really watch too many of the trailers. I saw some of the gameplay back, and, and that trailer that you're referring to, I think it was 2016 uh, when that initially came out. And I want to say on the bottom, and and when they talk about these games years in advance they talk about how stories are going to change and this isn't final gameplay right so because of those spoilers we got this like you know everything was kind of ruined for us right uh, unlike some folks that you know we didn't just didn't see them so the scene that you're talking about and the trailer you're talking about and that claim of people saying false advertising you know i, <laughs> I can kind of see the point of your, you had this expectation of that's who you're going to play as, and that's what you're going to do, and then that doesn't happen. Like, I get it, but at the same time, you have to come into it with a different mindset, right? Like, yeah, that, that's what I wanted, but this is what I have, and what am I going to get out of this gameplay? You know, am I going to enjoy the game fully? Is there a different story and a different take out of this that I maybe wouldn't have had if I, if I played through a different character's eyes? And so I, I really did go into this fresh... I saw Metacritic reviews beforehand and I tried to stay as spoiler free as I could with them just to get a feel for where people were frustrated with it. And honestly, I, I just I feel I got what I what I paid for, man. I, I bought the collector's edition. Absolutely loved the decision I made. It was a fantastic game. I put in 30 hours of gameplay on it. Just truly enjoyed it. The combat, the the storyline, everything was what I would expect in a Naughty Dog title. And I really do feel that this was perfect entry into the last of us franchise awesome so uh, i'm gonna ask one more question here uh just kind of related to the last of us too um is this a game for let's just say someone has a ps4 um is this a game that someone should go out and buy right now as soon as they can uh, is this a game someone should wait for on sale or maybe used or is this a game eh, you know if it comes out on uh the ps now uh, you know, as a free game to try out, then try it out. Um, where, where would you say people should check this game out at? So my belief is that if you were really looking forward to this game, we're looking forward to playing it, probably already bought the game, right? If you're a gamer on the outside and maybe you haven't played the last of a series or you played the first one, you're a little hesitant on whether or not you want to play this. If you're kind of on the fence right now and just wait, 
Uh, it's I would say don't go spending 60 bucks on something that at this point in time, based on the critic reviews, based on the amount of spoilers that are out there, uh, just all the crazy opinions flying around, like go into it fresh with your own viewpoint. If you're on the fence, you, know, you can obviously wait. You clearly haven't wanted to play it that badly if you didn't buy it yet and you didn't pre-order it. And if other people's commentary on you know, I hated the story. I didn't like the gameplay. I didn't like the direction Naughty Dog went. If that's going to be what you allow to um, make judgment for whether or not you buy this game, you're better off waiting. Gotcha. Uh, any, other, any other thoughts, questions, opinions on uh, the uh, Last of Us Part 2 that we want to discuss right now? I actually do have a question. Um, what did, how did you feel about the little guitar playing minigame thing? I know, like a lot of people see it as kind of like a little neat kind of new thing that they did that uh, allows you to play like whatever real song is going on. Um, me personally, I'm a huge fan of the soundtrack because that's how I found out about Sean James, who wrote a couple of songs for the game. And so when I saw that you could play the guitar, I thought it was pretty cool. I was just wanting to get your opinion on that. And it was actually super sweet, man. So I was actually wondering if there was any any way to play like other songs, like if they had and there probably will be down the road. I, I can imagine where people will be able to upload different songs and tracks and how you could play in different tunes on the guitar uh, throughout the game. But I liked it, man, just the ability of being able to hit different chords and create melodies and such. And you can actually pick at different uh, at different chords uh, while you're actually playing so it's, or different yeah, different chords while you're playing. So it's not a matter of I can only strum when I'm hitting a C. It's I can be in C, but I can also pick a few chords as I'm going through and do kind of that pizzicata type of style guitar play. Uh, so that was actually pretty interesting the way that it worked out. Awesome. Uh, Green, anything, any questions, opinions, thoughts you want to give out on there? You want to know who dies, anything like that? I want to know nothing. 100% (laughs) nothing. Uh, Thank you for asking. (laughs) Ryan, anything you want to add? Oh, man. I mean, John's been talking about this a lot lately. I know everybody online. (laughs) What? Anyways, John's been talking about it a lot lately, and I really Ryan cut out, guys. So uh, uh, I can hear him still. Yeah, you can. Yep, I can hear him. Okay, I can't hear him on my end, man. I'll just keep going then. <laughs> John doesn't have to hear me. Hear enough of John. He hears enough of me already. He's been talking about this game a lot. Everybody's been talking about this game a lot. I bought the first one, and I wasn't like super into it, and I wasn't really excited about the second one. So I totally spoilered myself on the whole thing and I watched like full uh if you guys have ever heard of Noah Caldwell Gervais on YouTube, he makes these like giant like two hour video essays on games franchise like stories and stuff. So I got to appreciate the story through like an analytic movie type perspective. And I thought that the story sounded fantastic. So if you were really into the first one, or if you really that you might like it there's probably a strong chance that you will so i would definitely recommend people go and play it if it's just not for you check out somebody's you know video online and you can still enjoy the story because it is interesting and good and it's a beautiful looking game and it might give you enough excellent 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 um I think that's all we can really delve into without getting into spoiler territory. So I think it's probably best that we move on to our next topic, which is a uh, gaming monitor review from Mr. Green Elite. 
I've bought way too many new things, like, recently. So, uh, yeah, I picked up the uh, Samsung uh, C CGH70. It's a 1440p monitor, 144 hertz refresh rate, and a one millisecond response. Uh, the story behind it is my basement actually flooded right where my stream setup is and all my computers are. And the other thing that was really damaged was my power supply for my my uh, original gaming monitor. Um, and at the point, I didn't know if my monitor was fried or not, so I preemptively ordered a new monitor just to you know play it safe. Uh, this new monitor is fantastic. I love it. Uh, the detail, I mean, I've never played in 1440p before. Um, so, like, I feel like I can see everything. And it's, like, three inches bigger. And I'm not used to the size. But it, it's a good monitor. Um, should we should we say phrasing on that? That's what she said. It's nice and big. Never seen something so big before. <laughs> mm, but, but, no, uh, I, uh... I really enjoy the monitor. I don't know if it is something that should be a first choice for someone um, because they are relatively expensive. I think they MSRP for like three fifty ish, roughly. Oh. Um, so like, I mean, you could pick up a a good ten eighty p fourteen forty hertz monitor for like one hundred fifty dollars right now. So, I mean, and the biggest thing with this one, too, is that it is a 1440, and you really need a GPU that can handle a, four, uh, you know, 1440 capability. Um, so, like, if you're, if, if you're running, like, a 2080 or 2080 Ti, uh, even a 2070, I mean, you can handle it, but if you're using, like, a, a 570 or 580, I, I wouldn't recommend getting it. Because you're gonna be you're gonna be playing at you know sub sixty frames, so uh, it it really just comes down to what your setup is for your gaming PC, and then how much you want to spend on peripherals. Um, I always recommend getting a hundred forty four hertz monitor, um, especially if you have a a GPU that can handle more than sixty frames, um, but it was more of an unnecessary buy. Like it was a, more of a want than a need. Treat yourself. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely treated myself. So, um, even my, I have a 2080 Super right now, and it, I'm not saying it struggles, but it is not at the, the FPS that I was thinking it would be at. So, um, but I mean, that comes with the territory of, you know, 1440. So, yeah, and did you didn't pick it up on sale, did you? You picked it up at the full. I did not. I actually technically am going to be paying more mm -hmm. for this monitor than if I would have saved my money and bought it from the store mm -hmm. because I got a payroll deducted through my work. Mm. Um, I mean, if it's on sale and you want something that's fourteen forty, I I would recommend this monitor. It's very crisp. Um, it's aesthetically pleasing. It's curved, uh, but. I mean, if if you have a choice of saving a few like a hundred hundred fifty dollars and, and you don't mind playing at ten eighty p, I I would just go with the ten eighty. Excellent. Got a question about curved monitor? Yeah. Oh, did you already have like a curved monitor before? Yes. 
Okay, so like if you have a curve monitor, you definitely want to stick with that. Like it's that big of a jump. I've never used one before. Uh, the curve monitor, I it's supposed to feel more surrounding it it to me it doesn't make much of a difference because my my stream pc and what i'm actually using right now to see you all is a flat monitor so like i don't notice a huge difference between the two um i can't really say that it's technically a gimmick um but it it's it's supposed to give the effect that you're you're being encompassed by the you know your monitor which i mean if you had like a big 32 inch or one of those ultra wide monitors yeah you'd get that feeling but with the 27 inch monitor it's not you're not going to notice much of a difference okay so is the price hike for like a curve monitor like worth it no <laughs> no not unless not unless you're buying one of those big ultra ultra wide monitors uh if if it's a twenty, like a twenty-four or twenty-seven inch, and you have the option of spending fifty extra dollars for a curved versus the same model being flat. Just, just save your money and get the flat. That's my opinion, of course. Um, yeah, this is all all personal preference. It all comes down to opinion. Um, I honestly don't feel much of a difference, especially with the size. So, okay, cool. Uh, that's a no for me. Um, John, any any questions, opinions you want to share? Thoughts? Uh, honestly, I'm I'm not really big into monitors, <laughs> so I mean I, I run like a 32 inch Samson for my screen at the house, along with an older Acer. So it's it's not something I've looked into investing at any point recently. Although I would like to get something that's you know longer in terms of overall width uh, on the desk, so I can run one monitor as opposed to two. Oh yeah, I do like an ultra wide, which yeah. I've I've thought about ultra wides, because uh, I'm running two monitors uh, myself, and I and I don't know where I stand on on ultra wides. They're, I, they're expensive too. Yeah. yeah, they are. Yeah, and it, essentially it's it's two or three panels put into one. So you're you're technically buying you know two or three monitors depending on what size you get. Um, it's more of the cabling and all that. So, yeah. I mean, when you got the cable management issue of having to run, you know, multiple HDMI's or VGA or whatever it may be, kind of would prefer to just have one cable. Yeah, they're definitely getting a lot better. Uh, like when they first came out with the ultra wide, so you could definitely tell that it was two two different monitors just in in one essential casing because there would be just an average of slight crease that you could see. It was like an off colorization. Um, but they've gotten a lot better with those. But I mean, it's still noticeable. Like there's like a little gap. Um, but I mean, they're expensive. Have you seen like those little screen refractors that you can put between two equally sized monitors to make it look like an ultra wide? Oh yeah, I wouldn't use one. But yeah, <laughs> they, they like if you see them like in a video, they actually trick your eyes just long enough for you to think it's an ultra wide. But yeah, it's like those. If you have a screen, if you have a monitor that has like an ultra thin, uh, if you have two of the same monitor that has like ultra thin bezels on the side, you put it like in between them, and it kind of gives off this effect of like an ultra wide. Uh, I've seen people. I think I've seen like Linus do a video on it, and some of the other tech reviewers. Um, they look kind of cheesy 
and i think if i actually used one it would bug the shit out of me because it has like that discoloration you were just mentioning and that's what even triggered me uh or triggered me it triggered the thought in my head um on on said uh product uh padre any thoughts questions opinions you want to express no i'm still trying to figure out monitors all like as it stands now because i've I don't know how any of this works, so I'm just soaking it all in. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, so, like, what's your biggest question on the monitor, though? Like, uh, on yours? No, I mean, like, uh, like monitors in general. Oh, I don't, I don't have any questions because I don't know what to ask. Oh. <laughs> well, but you are here's free something. To I got a. Uh a portable display a little while ago that I'm using as a second monitor because I don't actually have a tower. I just run everything off my laptop. It's like pretty much the same dimensions. It's like a 17 inch screen and the ability to like take it elsewhere and use it for like, I mean, I could bring like a PlayStation to an airport with this thing. It would be awesome. Like there's so many different options out there. I didn't even know that this was like, one of those options until I went looking a few months ago. Yeah, they have uh, like uh, cheaper. They're like um, display monitors uh, on eBay, and I've was looking into them to do like a uh, like small little actual touchscreen monitors for the stream, um, and they're relatively cheap. They're like thirty bucks a piece. So those are pretty cool too. Yeah. Um docking solutions are really interesting to me because we've just we use them at work for some of our um program directors and stuff like that and seeing how and like choosing um uh the the monitors for docking solutions is kind of interesting in the fact that you know okay what can this laptop actually pump out are people going to be using a dual monitor mode or they just want something large um if you are someone who isn't looking to build a PC, but wants to do some PC gaming with like a laptop you have uh, docking solutions, you know, especially if you're just doing like indie games like Super Meat Boy or something, you just want it on a larger screen. Uh, the docking solutions are really interesting and like choosing a monitor for that. Uh, I'm sure it gets a little daunting because you not only do you have to find the do- uh, docking peripherals um, that'll work and is compatible for your computer, but then finding like a good monitor at a, at a decent price that isn't going to totally break the bank and um, will be compatible with your display and not have all sorts of finickiness. Uh, I'm sure it gets even more difficult, but I haven't even looked into like, I haven't even looked into that stuff at all uh, recently. Um, I had a thought, but I lost it. Uh, so we're just going to kind of move on. Um, is there anything else that we wanted to talk about in terms of the Samsung um, CHG70 uh, gaming monitor? Can you tell uh, us again about its uh, curve and size? Oh, it's it's uh, you know, it curves slightly to the right, and it is quite. It's not quite so much girthy as it is like length. You know what I mean? Like it's like, it's more narrow. You know, it's it's a it's a true flat panel. You know what I good mean? Good size. It's, it's good size. You know, it's it's it. You know, it, it does the job. You know, it pleases me. I enjoy it. It's all you can ask. Yeah, yeah. It's aesthetically pleasing. I just like to come down here and stare at it. 
So <laughs> your hands on it. Yeah, yeah. Both hands. Do you do you close your eyes and map it map out its curves in your head? Absolutely. I haven't actually even peeled the plastic off like the, the little side protective plastics off hey, of it yet. Protection always first. <laughs> real quick if especially if he's in the if he's in the chat my dad refuses to take plastic off of products like his like he has a tv that still has like all the plastic along the bezels and it pisses me off <laughs> it's so gross because it just but gets... it'll look so nice when he takes it off he's had yeah. the tv for five years <laughs> i think he can take it off now <laughs> when he takes it off it's gonna look like a brand new tv yeah, he doesn't want to scratch it. Come on. Yeah. Come uh, on, man. What if he's moving. <laughs> he's, hey, he, he's doesn't moving. Throw, <laughs> he doesn't want to throw a blanket over it or anything like that. He just wants to move it. You know, get the job done quick. <laughs> Look, all the cat hair. You have to be a visionary. You have to be a visionary. <laughs> it's called money moves, Danny. Money moves. Money moves. Cool. Well, I'll just wait for him to pop into the chat here and be like, I like the plastic on all my electronics. Don't you don't you say anything about it, Danny? Um, <laughs> There's a lot of gamers out there that like the plastic on their uh, retro games. Uh, well, yeah. Come on now. Open it up and play it. Yeah, but then like that, the air is, you know, the air inside the box is like 80s air, you know? <laughs> you breathe it in right you at that point in, man. exactly you breathe in that 80s air and it's immediate nostalgia and cocaine induced like that craziness and time traveling <laughs> okay um i am seeing right now uh for those who are uh watching the stream i am seeing that the stream is dipping here um we are recording so if you guys miss any part of the show, uh, make sure you guys check it out on youtube uh we're gonna move on to our next topic real quick uh Warzone has a new update. Absolutely. I'm going to let Green take this over quick. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Warzone, the patch came today. Um, They added a few new things. Um, The, uh, specifically to Warzone, uh, there's now a 200-man, it's like a 50-team quad uh, mode. So, like, it used to be 150, and that was it. Um, this is only specific to quads. Like you can't do trios or, or duos or solos with 200 people. Um, but if you have three other players or you, you're willing to roll in there on solo and match fill, um, it, I've watched a few streams today, uh, people playing it. It is very hectic. It's, uh, you know, a lot more people to contend with. Um, they also brought some nerfs and uh, a few buffs, actually, to the uh, game as well. Um, the most notable nerf, um, and this is going to break a few people's hearts, is the Grau auto rifle uh, has seen the nerf hammer. Um, the range uh, drop-off has uh, been uh, decreased. Uh, they also increased the recoil on continuous firing um so that's no longer really i think you're not going to see it as the meta as much anymore uh in terms of auto rifles which a lot of people run um they also introduced um a new sniper rifle um which i can't remember what it's called it's a 50 cal 
That's all everyone's referring to it as 50 cal. I haven't gotten to play it yet. Um, I know they nerfed the MP5, um, made it more of an SMG. Uh, then yeah, apparently when they put it in, they're like, oh, this thing needs needs the range of a sniper rifle. So they, they brought back the damage range, uh, quite a marginal amount. Um, the heavier auto rifles like uh, um, the SCAR-17 and the Odin have gotten an increase in the magazine size. Um, the biggest thing with the sniper, I know it, you, you have to unlock it. You have to do some tasks in the in the game or multiplayer. Um, and I I've heard people say that it's pretty difficult. I think you need to do like three matches or th- three quick scopes a match for fifteen times, something like that. So fifteen matches total with at least three uh, quick scopes in the match. So. Um, I, as as I said, I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet to try it out, but um, so you're definitely going to see some changes to to what people are running in Warzone specifically. Um, I, I feel like the regular multiplayer is not going to change much because it's close quarters for most of the game. Um, Warzone itself is going to see some definite definite uh, shaking up. Awesome. So overall, you think it's a positive uh, update for the game? Uh, and I don't think anyone's like, I'm not going to see Growl as much, which is, I, I think is pretty cool. I mean, a lot of people, uh, well, I'm sure people are going to start using like M13 or or the uh, Kilo because those are now on par with the Growl. Um, so it, it'll, I'll still be salty. I'm still going to get salty every time someone kills me. Like I always am. But now it's going to be like a, a surprise. Like, hey, I didn't get killed with a growl today. I got killed with a fucking M13. You know, I think you just got to shake it up. Gotcha. Um, anything else on the COD Warzone update? John? No. Ryan? Okay, uh, I, I'm guilty. I haven't played a Call of Duty since uh, Modern Warfare initially came in on PS3. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Warzone is free to play. Yeah, you know, for me, it's one of those things of, I mean, you could see behind me the clear backlog that I have going on right now. So get invested in an online multiplayer like that. Just having played a lot of Call of Duty in the past, Resistance, Follow Man, when that was out and people were playing that online, Halo, all that stuff. It takes just so much time to get invested, get good, and consistently play that, right? And I would never get to play anything else on my shelf. I would get so invested in that one game, I would never have an opportunity to enjoy anything else. So while I, I while I love playing those games and I'm not bad at them, it's just something that I really just don't want to put myself through it because I know I'll get stuck into it. I feel that on a spiritual level. <laughs> uh, Padre, anything else? Oh no, I I think 200 people is pretty chaotic for for squads but uh i think i think honestly that could probably bring a little bit more fun back into it for me if i can find a squad to play with because i haven't played it in months i don't even think i have it installed anymore but i mean being able to have that kind of like chaos because i love thriving in chaos i hate being like the sneaky guy that just like hangs out in the edge of the circle all game and then end up finishing second place with like one kill uh, so i think having that that just like sheer chaos could be a lot more fun for me excellent um so 
I think it's time we can take a break and then we can get back into it. Are you guys okay to take a two minute break? Absolutely. All right, guys, we'll be back in two minutes. Stay right there. Hello, I'm Matthias Carnero, host of the Controller Disconnected podcast. It's a little show I make by myself where I talk about whatever games I've been playing recently and other subjects related to games as well. Sometimes I even do movie reviews just to shake things up. If you enjoy listening to my weird accent, episodes are released every week wherever podcasts are sold. Well, actually, podcasts are free, but you know what I mean. All right, so I think we're back. We had, uh, hopefully everything is okay. At least it's okay on my side. That's all that matters, right? (laughs) Okay. Exactly. So, uh, there was a pretty pretty big article that was released this week um, by a gentleman by the name of Sean Layden. He's a former PlayStation executive running the PlayStation Worldwide Studio. Um, and it it generated a lot of talk and I thought this was a really interesting conversation because it really does speak to the niche of this show for sure. Um, so I'm going to kind of go through a few points that he made, read a couple quotes and kind of get your guys's, um, takes on them. His, his entire article that he put out, um, was on the sustainability of the current AAA model. So I'll kind of go through, I'll read some quotes here for you guys and we'll get uh, your guys' individual takes. Um, one In the article I read, uh, I'm just going to preface this real quick. In the article I read, they said that most AAA, game, AAA games budgets cost somewhere between $80 million to $150 million, excluding marketing, which uh, I think a general rule of thumb is that marketing should be half of the general budget or the same as the general budget. Um, so, you know, if it's 80 million, the marketing could be anywhere from 40 million to another 80 million on top of that. Um, I think is the general rule of thumb for, for this kind of stuff. So, uh, the first quote I want to read here is this quote. I don't think that in the next generation, you can take those numbers and multiply them by two and think you can grow. I think the industry as a whole needs to sit back and go, all right, what are we building? What's the audience expectation? What is the best way to get our story across and say what we need to say? End quote. Um, We'll go with uh, Ryan first on this. Ryan, what are your what are your kind of thoughts on on that quote? Um, so I'm pretty tainted by some of the sources that I get a lot of uh, you know feedback and inspiration from, and I think that the the AAA gaming industry is wildly out of control, and there's no way that they can keep you know pushing the boundaries every year and expecting to have like crazy crazy money just pouring out of people for these games and i know that the costs are expensive but it's there's no way it's a sustainable system yeah um john just your initial uh thoughts on this take so i would agree with ryan on on that i mean you've got games that are pushing 30 40 hours you know that may not necessarily need to be 30 40 hours uh, you know, I'm just as happy getting a 15-hour game like an Uncharted 4 
where I'm not pushing, you know, open world 30, 40 hours of gameplay, but I'm still getting that nice linear story. I'm still getting those graphical achievements that are tied to it and I'm still enjoying it. Right. It's a good AAA title. Um, I kind of refer back to The Last of Us. And with that game being 30 hours, I really feel that that's something that if they cut out a lot of the sidebar type things, such as exploring certain areas and, um, you know, some of the character development and whatnot that's tied to it, you probably could have had a lot less time tied in that game, a lower budget, and then obviously increase your revenue. Uh, one of the other things that I would say is helping these companies, though, with these AAA titles are the collector's editions and the digital downloads and such. So while it is out of control and they are going to have crazy budgets moving forward, when you've got thousands of people uh, picking up $150 collector's edition and $300 collector's editions that are limited, uh, you know, you really do kind of help that sustainability in maintaining that same type of expense for these titles. Uh, same thing with the digital download, DLC, all of that really does go towards that bottom line. And I think that while it is expensive and is out of hand, it's going to be a little bit before we get to a point where it's like, all right, we got to stop this. Gotcha. Um, Padre. Well, as somebody who doesn't typically uh, play AAA titles very much anyways, um, looking at it from the outside perspective, it seems like, yeah, I mean, you, you can't just keep doubling down on money because you can't, if you're going to have to double down your costs, you would end up having to double down on your, you know, your pricing too. And people, it's going to get to the point where people just can't afford it anymore, especially like given the current global climate, a lot of people can't afford to do a lot of stuff right now. Um, so like you're going to see a lot of these big releases not be able to get off the ground as well as they wanted to as is and we don't know how long it's going to be before that kind of sets back in normalcy anyway so having to double down on that stuff with i mean let's face it the holidays are kind of rapidly approaching at this point you know we're we're halfway done with the year at this point and you know people are going to start buying for holidays and people aren't going to be able to afford to if they're going to have to start charging more and more based on the fact that their budgets are getting higher and higher and uh but it's still one of those things that like uh, like John said, we're, we're, we're still a way off before it's like, all right, we've got to completely stop this. But I think that given the current state of things outside of just the game industry, the, you know, with the, the economic crisis going on because of COVID and everything, it could accelerate that. Um, I think we're going to have to wait and see what happens with the, uh, with the launches of the next gen consoles and everything come later this year and see where we lie on it at that point. But uh, I think it could be coming quicker than originally thought. I kind of want to tap in on that too. Ryan and I, God, who's probably like 80 episodes ago that we discussed this, uh, there was a YouTube video that came out that was talking about that the rate of games and what they cost right now should realistically be in the $80 range per game, not 60 uh, just based well, on how things have trended. I, I actually, uh, there, there's been some other stuff about that video that I showed you forever ago, John, that really kind of tainted. That was actually the... Uh, extra credits or extra gaming they did a video a while ago talking about that and then another video later uh if you guys ever heard of uh jim sterling he talks a lot about this stuff all the time and with the the amount of money that the gaming industry is making like especially now during covid like games are sold out all over the place like new hot titles and everybody can't wait to get their hands on games like even the retro game market seen like some price rise from all this like those companies already make so much money and like don't pay any taxes like we all subsidized ea and blizzard and gave them money back last year while they didn't pay any taxes like 
they're laying off people and you know putting all these you know we outsold ourselves last year but not enough to like make it worth it so we're going to lay off 800 people there's a ton of money that these companies make that they could put into these games and they choose to take that off the top oh you know games are going to be more expensive i hope that they're the people paying it and it doesn't just turn into more crunch time and you know treating these employees like as bad or worse i know there's been a lot of news recently about people starting to come out against abuse in the industry more so if games are going to be more expensive and they want to make shorter games like i just hope that they make shorter games actually to upgrade quality and not just to you know keep a hold of their bonus money yeah, yeah. and uh, one other thing that uh, you know that we aren't really considering too much is uh does that number that you have the 80 million to 150 million is that taking into account physical media and is it going to be something where you know digital media moving forward is going to really help with that you know bottom line and dropping the overall cost because i mean we're not not talking you know only physical discs going out and a manufacturing process tied to it so if that's gone you know are we going to see a better situation in terms of game pricing where they continue this trend of 80 to 150 million dollars in games and still make profit yeah um green i think uh you were the last person i needed to get on this take before i go on to my own take I, I agree with everything that's been said so far. I mean, you kind of got to wonder if this is kind of the, uh, you know, their own doing when it comes to like AAA developers, uh, especially like the big ones like Activision and EA, um, you know, because they, they've been putting a lot of money and you see it prominently now um, with like, let's say Last of Us 2 or uh, uh shit take cyberpunk uh 2077 they have keanu reeves doing motion capture uh yes we did here we go that's john's problem he always comes back <laughs> <laughs> my computer tell me i need to go off yeah uh do you have your cam back otherwise you're gonna have people in the wrong places i am now ryan your <laughs> green lead is now the john <laughs> there you are you good <laughs> yeah i think you're good hey uh, i was gonna bring up to you um green there was also mm -hmm. an article a while back of uh video kojima of death stranding saying he had just made enough essentially i think it was to break even on his yeah. game yeah so exactly so i mean you're spending all these this money developing the game but is it really money that you're investing is it really adding necessary substance to that game to make it a good game or is it something that's really cosmetic you know, like you know paying an actor like a well-known actor to uh motion capture or you know uh having them uh, the devs rework over and over again with the studio a studio workout different endings and then cherry picking the one that you want it it really comes down to like are they doing this to themselves and i also agree with uh digital i i think that uh they the company like the companies as a whole should move to digital 
for the most part uh, because like it costs a lot of money to make discs like and the shipping and everything like that they can definitely decrease their the amount of money that they're spending on developing these games just for you know cutting back like at least 50 percent of the physical copies well, there's even to see a drop in the price like if you not able to get that physical version and you're relying on like limited run games and sources like that or specific collector's editions like oh yeah you think that the 60 dollars price line is a fair price for digital games that we've already been paying or if they went away from that would they have to drop it i think um i would still say that yeah it'd be worth the 60 dollars because right now like especially like playstation 4 i noticed that uh, when you buy the disc, you're really just downloading the game anyways online, and your the disc is really just your your licensing copy to to play that game. Conceivably, if you're somewhere without an internet connection, and there's not like a mandatory like install patch or something, mm-hmm. you should be able to hook up a console and put a game in and just play it as long as you've got power in a TV, right? It just depends on the game. But I also think, I mean, because we can talk about that in terms of that Tony Hawk game that came out in 2016 that required a massive day one patch. They shipped out the the CDs, uh, the physical media for that, and it was completely buggy. And they knew that when they sent it out and they were going to require a day one patch to fix that. Um, I think, yeah, that's, that is a, a very big concern when it comes to um moving towards digital and and physical media um and just real quick on while we're talking about you know digital versus physical media really you're you're buying the software you're not buying the disc itself um however you get the license whether it's the disc or uh some sort of digital agreement from steam or epic or even the uh the, the retailer itself um it doesn't really matter as much as what is the software worth um and what what's the value of the software uh I, sorry i'd I didn't probably mean also there. i would also probably bring up uh sorry um you know when it comes down to general support down the road how long are you going to see support for some of that physical media as well as digital media so if i'm buying digitally a ps3 game at what point do companies say we're not going to have that patch offered on a ps3 game any longer you know, once we hit PS5, what's happening to some of those A1 patches and some of that information on those older games? Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's, I don't know if there's uh, been like a major case of that yet, if or a case that's it's coming gonna... soon, if it hasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be coming pretty soon here at the, uh, if it's not during the middle of the PS5's life cycle, we'll likely see something like that at the end of the PS5's life cycle. You know, how long are they going to have support for consoles? They don't support the internet, you know, uh, overall, like Call of Duty, uh, you know, battles and whatnot on, I don't know if they still do on PS3, but, you know, at some point you have to phase that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that is a really interesting and deep conversation that probably needs to happen on another show. So if we get you guys back on, we can, we can talk about that, uh, in more, in more and greater detail. Um, I'm going to move on to a quote here, but first I'm going to give my take real quick. There's just something about the, he says, all right, 
what are we going to build? What's the audience expectation? What's the best way to get our story across? Say and say what we need to say. It, it sounds like he's just now realizing that editing is a thing. Um, that, you know, every other form of media has figured out <laughs> books, you know, uh, fantasy books have copy editors, movies have editors and script editors. It, it like that didn't feel revolutionary to me. And if games didn't have copy editors already, it, I don't know. It, it just felt like a weird thing to say. It didn't feel like it was really needed. You know, it, it didn't feel relevant and it was just kind of a weird way to um, open it up. And then I think it's, I mean, a lot of what you guys have said already, it's obvious that this mar- that, that this market thinks it's ever expanding and that it's going to have exponential growth forever, but it's a fairy tale. There's no such thing as exponential growth. You're going to hit a ceiling no matter what, because resources are always limited. Um, and I think, I mean, you guys have, you know, I'm just kind of reiterating and getting redundant here, but there's a lot of time and money that is spent on fluff. A lot of resources that are spent on fluff in games. Um, and while a lot of it is technically impressive, I, I don't want a tech demo. I want a story. I want a well done story. I don't want something. I don't want a realistic rope physics if the game has a rope in it, you know, just get the mechanics to do what you need them to do, make it look presentable and then move on. Um, I don't need, I don't need new, uh, physics simulations for a fucking rope. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like if you're making a game about rope, make a really good rope. But if you're just making a game where rope is in it, it doesn't have to be the best rope ever. What if the game's whole purpose is rope? <laughs> there's uh, there are there's cut the rope there's your rope game you know one of the things i really enjoy, one of the things i've really enjoyed about this previous gaming generation even going back into ps3 is the amount of indie games that have come out and have gone back to basics and the cost that's associated with that so when you start seeing games like blasphemous come out at 30 40 bucks you know you're looking at a fantastic story great gameplay and it's a cheap price point so I mean, there's so many companies going in that direction. It's really kind of a proving point that you don't need these major AAA titles and all this money pumped into it when small independent studios are putting out great quality stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a fantastic point, too. The, and we, we can talk about that here after this quote, because I think that that's a very nice segue. Uh, it's hard for every adventure game to shoot for the 50 to 60 hour gameplay milestone, because that's going to be so much more expensive to achieve. And in the end, you make uh, close some interesting care. Uh, sorry. Uh, and in the end, you may close some interesting creators and their stories out of the market. If that's the kind of threshold they have to meet, we have to reevaluate that. End quote. Um, so we're going to go, uh, John, I'll let you finish your thought, uh, that you just had. All right, cool. So the next game I'm going to be picking up is Ghost of Tsushima. And one of the things that, and obviously this fits right into our discussion here. Uh, I was looking up how long it's going to take to beat that game. And one of the estimates that's out there is that it's going to be a 50 hour game. I, the second I saw that, I looked at my wife and I'm like, I don't want to sit there for 50 hours playing Ghost of Tsushima. Like, I just want... A high quality game, a great story that I can jump into in maybe 20 hours, enjoy it and move on to my next title. I don't want to invest that much time into a game and I would probably be just as happy with 20 hours as I would 50 of open world exploration that, you know, I'm not necessarily it's nice to be able to have the ability and flexibility 
to go to all these different places within the world. But at the same time, it deviates from the core point, and that is the overall storytelling and overall gameplay. So that's my point. Gotcha. Um, I'll move on to uh, Padre here. Padre, what's your take on that uh, quote? Uh, I, I definitely agree with that because if you're if you don't have to put that many hours into a good story, like I, but uh, I'm the in, the indie guy of the group, so I can attest to the fact that sometimes shorter games can be multitudes better. Um, I think one small thing you can do to you know to make replayability a thing is make it known that like maybe there are a few different endings to the game that way it's still a relatively short game but if you want to come back and visit it later you're not playing through the exact same storyline you know you could think all right well what can i do different you know like undertale is a classic case of that you know i mean undertale obviously is not the most graphically aesthetically pleasing game in the world it's very uh 2d and flat but you know the fact that you can run through it change one or two little things that you do, it changes the entire experience of the game. You know, you don't have to sit there and focus so much on graphics intensity when you can just put enough enough good content into a story to be able to play through it and enjoy yourself. And then later on say, you know what, I want to give it another shot and try again. Or if you're like some other people who are completionists, you can sit there and re, you know, redo it and not get burnt out on the same story over and over while still being able to change some some things in the outcome. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of multiple multiple ending games because I believe that adds a lot of replayability. Um, but I'm all for shorter gameplay as long as it's not like so short that it's not worth it. You know, like, like Resident Evil Three. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, you don't want to you don't want to pay, you know, th- that same $60 price point for a game you're only going to get single digit hours worth of gameplay in just because it's, you know, ultra beautiful. It's like, well, if I wanted to watch something that ultra beautiful, I would pay way less to go watch a Pixar movie or something, you know, but I uh I think 15 to 20 hours is a good is a good area for campaigns to be able to get a good uh, a good run through and you can honestly expand that into so much more without really adding that much to the cost just by switching up an ending or a few little plot points throughout you know and that's that's my take on it is like if you want to just increase replayability add different add a couple of extra endings cool um we'll go to ryan next what's your what's your take on that uh quote i'm notorious for abandoning games anyways and just not finishing them so less 50 60 hour games is going to fit me just fine but i do think it's interesting that he says it's hard for every adventure game to shoot for the 50 to 60 hour gameplay because like 50 to 60 hours of adventure you're like if you wanted to whittle that down to 40 hours instead of 50 to 60 are you saving 10 hours of shooting more dudes climbing more walls like you're probably doing a lot more of the same thing that you've already spent that first 40 hours doing and that works really good for like you know rpgs where you just want to grind it out to see bigger numbers like and that's your stick but like the most part like even in rpgs like you don't have to get to max level like that's just extra what's extra in all of these adventure games is just really grind stuff and probably extra fluff to pad out your good story beats so that can affect you know the how well you feel you're progressing through the game like you could feel like oh man i had a really good night i got like halfway through this awesome game i can't wait to finish it and sometimes it's like well there's another four hours of doing that i guess i got two more weeks of that until i'm done with this game like it longer isn't always better 
and specifically for like adventure games and stuff like we're all tired of climbing towers to unveil the next part of the map go do some fetch quest for some dude and i don't think anybody's far really cry. gonna miss that far cry yeah far cry assassin's creed i mean breath of the wild had it a green's got All that face that going stuff. on man it's that same kind of you better watch but, it <laughs> I, i'm not knocking the formula like it's a successful formula for a reason but i'm hoping that if if the next gen is going to offer us a bunch of cool stuff i'd rather see more different cool new stuff than longer of the same stuff over and over again like we've had a lot of this generation Mm-hmm. Actually, I actually have a really good point to that. I covered a game not very long ago on the on the channel called Someday You'll Return. It's like an indie horror game with it's like Silent Hill, but in the Czech you know forests somewhere. And um, one of the things that I actually said on the show was that it it seemed like some of the puzzle the puzzle ish stuff you had to do was just like too much. It just seemed like they they added too much just for the sake of having it in there. And not long after that, they it was like a about a fifteen hour playthrough. Um, which isn't very long for an actual like aesthetically pleasing indie title. And they actually removed a bunch of the puzzling and stuff like that out of it. Like the, the excess, like you really didn't need that kind of stuff. They pulled a bunch of that and it shortened the gameplay, but actually gave it more favorable reviews. Cause people were like, well, I didn't feel like I was wasting time doing a bunch of irrelevant stuff to the story. So pulling just excess crap like that out can, it can really increase players like, you know, like of the game. Actually, well, and I'm uh, wondering, Sorry, I was gonna say like Last of Us 2 is a good example of that. There's a lot of moments where you're going through and like, did I really have to go explore through that house, try and find some spare bullets, whereas you could have just blocked it off, not had me go through that home trying to find some random note, you know, to tie to the story. Like I get it, like it kind of gives you a view into the past of the world before, uh, and what really created Last of Us 2, but I probably spent 15, 20 minutes going through a house trying to sneak around, not get hit by clickers to find a couple bullets when I could have just had an enemy drop and progress my story. And that's just added, you know, that's added time for developers that have to build that out for something that's going to be so minuscule to the overall story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this doesn't have to be every game like it's not like there's always going to be big, long games out there for people that want big, long games like MMOs are always going to be a thing. You know, Final Fantasy games are always going to be a thing. Like, there's tons of things that you can sink your time into out there. You don't, it doesn't have to be the benchmark. Yeah. Um, Green, your take? And then I'll get into my take. Yeah, I, I, I agree that not every game needs to be 50, 60 hours. I feel like there is still a market for that, though. Um, Like, there, there's... I, it's hard to explain. I I feel like there should be the ability, like let's say an Assassin's Creed game where it's like a, a large amount of hours. There's there's people who genuinely enjoy that. Um, but I also agree that not every company should be shooting for that as well. Uh, uh, like. Let's see, I'm trying to think of an example. Um. Well, you think I just I had one more point I wanted to make on this. Uh, you know, one of the factors that we may not be considering here is that you know, five of us are well into our adult years at this point. So we have you know, additional responsibilities and things that we didn't have when we were teenagers, you know. So uh, for all of us right now to jump into a 50, 60 hour game, 
it's going to feel a lot different than say a 15 year old who picks up a final fantasy game can pump away five six hours you know a day after doing homework or hanging on the weekend and doesn't have to do stuff you know for their home or their car so there's a lot of that that needs to kind of be factored into when we really kind of have this conversation over is the length of 50 60 hours too much exactly that's what i'm saying there's so there's still a market for it it's it's just the quantity has gotten out of hand Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the point he was trying to make was essentially that, like, while while there is a market out there for it, it shouldn't be the benchmark for like how people build around their games. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be like how do we make this as lengthy as possible and not make it girthy with story. How how can we compete with God of War or you know, Last of Us, and while still being our own game? Yeah. Um. So. I'll give my my take on this particular quote and then we'll move on to uh, one more quote. I'm kind of looking at our time here and I think we could probably move on after this next quote. Um, so there's there's this whole thing about, you know, games being 50 to 60 hours. And I mean, there's a lot of games with a 15 to 20 ish hour campaign. Um, I think the majority of Call of Duty battlefield campaigns are right around that 15, 20 ish hour mark um, if you're really struggling with them. And I think I mean, for like Fallout games, you can get through Skyrim, Fallout. I know you can get through the the um, story modes of those games fairly quickly if you really try. Of course, those are more sandboxy than anything else. Um, so I'm I'm kind of struggling with the idea that I that uh, only having fifteen to twenty ish hours makes it worth $60. I think you have to have some sort of replayability there. Uh, Rev mentioned, um, Rev mentioned branching storylines. And I understand there's actually a lot of, there's a lot more costs associated with that because you are essentially making two of the same thing. Um, if it's a game that has a lot of CGI renders, we'll just take, um, black ops two, for example, you know, if you take, if you decide to kill this person and not this person, you know, they have to re-render that, you know, entire scenes and do, whole different voice acting all that stuff and you know that is an associated cost there but even around doing like new game plus where second time around you unlock a new difficulty um or you know you unlock maybe an extra monster or something like that you know you're i think neo um there's a new game plus where after you beat it the first time the second time around it gets more difficult and they add in like augments to augments to these enemies right this enemy does something um a little bit different or it has this uh you know new augment where it's you know it doesn't take as many uh or it it takes more hits it's more bullet spongy or whatever um i think arcade modes um multiplayer i mean those are all things that have to get factored into this into the cost and to just say well here's a 15 to 20 ish hour campaign filled with fluff and uh you know technical fluff right not even story fluff but we we spent the entire budget on cgi renders and on um you know performance and whatever else and not to consider other modes of play in the game i think is a little weird and i'm not sure if that's the argument he's really making but it certainly feels that way to me it's it feels like he's just focusing on the idea of the campaign or the story mode when there's a lot more in you know in these games that need to be considered uh like the arcade modes the multiplayers new game plus you know there's the branching storylines and stuff like that it just feels like there's too much focus on the idea of the story necessarily um would you guys do you guys have any thoughts on that at all 
Not for me. Um, I mean, like some games, yeah, they totally build themselves like without worrying too much, like because they're confident enough in you know, what they're creating that those extra modes are going to be enough to carry it. So I guess if if studios want to make shorter, tighter stories to put more time into other modes of play, I think that that's definitely a way that you can make up for that. Uh, I think it's as far as, you know, a 12 to 15 hour game uh, and you had mentioned, you know, paying full price for something that's just going to fluff and graphics and, you know, really kind of hit benchmarks. It really honestly depends on what it is. How much story am I getting out of it? What am I looking at in terms of the overall graphical display? And am I paying for an experience or am I paying for a game? Also needs to be asked. So if it's something along the lines of, you know, high end achievements, of you know, just hitting benchmarks. And visually, it's going to be stunning, and I'm going to go through this world and enjoy every single aspect of it while playing a story. And yeah, it's probably worth the 60 bucks just for that, the overall experience. But if we're looking at it from just setting benchmarks to have a bunch of fluff and nothing else to it, you know, and a crappy story, crappy gameplay, whatever it may be, then yeah, 60 bucks is definitely not worth it at that point. Awesome. Um, we're going to move on to the final quote of this. Uh, quote, all the costs around gaming are labor cost, right? You don't have to build a factory. You don't have to turn sand into glass. It's just creativity and your ability to bring like-minded people together to accomplish something. But it's all based on the people. Those are all the costs associated with it. It's, first off, not all the costs associated with it. Um, you know, you have licensing issue uh, things to deal with. So if you are if you're using a non-proprietary engine... You have to pay licensing fees for that engine. Um, there's, I mean, there's more to it than just labor, but I see the, I see the point that he's making there. That coders, QA, um, art directors, artists themselves, um, you know, voice actors, voice directors, all the, you know. And then you can talk about all the uh, little bits of programming, um, like audio programming. You know, how does this sound? What does this sound do? Does this sound change based on where the character is? Like all that, you know, that's very labor intensive. Um, all the rendering and, and character design, all the programming and animations and stuff. Yeah, that it, those are incredible costs and they take a lot of time. Um, I'm just going to kind of get a couple of my takes out of the way here and then I'll move on to you guys. I find it hilarious that we're talking about costs right now when uh, we're also talking about the um, horrible conditions that these developers are promoting and using. Naughty Dog is a is an excellent example and people should probably go look up Jason Schreier's article. I'm not a huge fan of uh, Jason Schreier myself, but he put out a fantastic article talking about Naughty Dog's practices and crunch and the conditions were... Uh, employees were were forced under um so much so that they ran out of animators in the video game industry and had to bring them over from film you know that's how bad the conditions were at naughty dog um you know so i find this to be interesting that we because people are not being fairly comp uh, compensated uh and it makes me question if these people aren't being fairly compensated where's the money going to from these companies where's the money going to in these budgets are is it being used effectively to provide a good story and is the i don't think the extra cost is going to benefit employees at all i really don't 
Um, but that's just one of my takes. Uh, we're going to go to uh, Mr. Greenleaf this time. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was kind of out of line with, with saying that all the cost is, is people-based. Uh, you know, there's definitely a lot more. I mean, like, I'm I'm not a game developer. I've never worked for a game development company. Um, but I mean, in just common knowledge, I wouldn't think it would be all labor. Like, it just seems very off, like an off statement. Yeah, and we, we do need to remember, I said, and I did say it off the top here, that the... 80 to 150 million dollar budget that these games have does not include the marketing uh so that's mm-hmm. that is different but um john we're gonna go on ahead to uh your take on this quote i might get a little flack on my quote so yeah i guess my point is, is if you're not happy working for a AAA developer like a naughty dog and the wage that you're getting with that you know your options are simple you could go to another developing studio you can go to an indie developer if you don't want to go through that, then don't work for that type of company. Don't get involved in that type of, you know, that type of media. There's plenty of options out there. You know, Naughty Dog isn't the only developer out there. EA is not the only publisher to exist out there. There's plenty of them out in the world. And you know, if it's a, a matter of money, you have options out there. And um, I think that's one thing that needs to be taken into consideration. Uh, obviously, you know, you had mentioned the overall cost of labor and how, uh, know is that the only cost tied to it when you look at the ending credits of one of these AAA games that comes out just think about the fact that every single person's name on there had to have a living wage when they made this game so the the number of names on there everybody had some sort of living wage tied to it Uh, so you've got that component and obviously logistical pieces of sending it off to you know get created via disc uh shipping taking it out to retailers a retailer cut the marketing cut so there are a lot of costs and while I understand there's crunch time, there's crunch time in every single industry. In fact, you know, when I was telling you guys uh, today, I was going to be a little late because I had to scarf down some food because I didn't have a moment to eat until three o'clock. That was crunch time. It was a situation where I had to crunch down and get something done. And that's the reality of, you know, and it sucks. Best reality of corporate America is there's a lot of crunch time that goes into things. And if you don't like it, then. You know, that's that's a reality. You just got to get out of it and move on to something else. I hate for that to be like my statement, but that's just kind of my my belief in that area. All right, uh, Ryan. What's your take uh, on this quote? I think John's a disgusting person. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Like looking at this quote, like this is such an exact thing to say, like he's just talking about the labor like it's not people with jobs and you know really devoting all their passion to doing this like uh just because you know it's a creative industry and all of these people you know have to be brought together in some way to like work together and everything to create this like it's really kind of demeaning to just like deem them as labor and you know that it's just another tool to get the job done. And once that one's tired, you can throw it out. And that's the problem with like, you know, my problem with what John's saying is that <laughs> when, when you're out there and, you know, it's your passion and they're saying, well, like, Oh, you know, if you were really passionate about this, you wouldn't mind the crunch or like, you know, nobody's holding a gun to your head. You can totally go somewhere else. Like if you leave that project, your name isn't going to be in those credits. Cause a lot of places 
don't have any kind of regulation on credits and stuff. If you leave mid-project, they may strike you from the credits. Then you don't have anything to show for all your time there. So if you are going to go to another studio and you're trying to be like, oh, here's all my work. Well, where's your credits? You're not credited on this game. And if you're going to some other place that you know, is going to have similar practices or, you know, maybe just not so much empathy, like they're not going to cut you slack because you had it bad somewhere else because they're going to say, well, so did I. And so did these other people. Like if you couldn't hack it there, what makes you think you're going to be able to hack it here? Like there is a certain level that you have to like sacrifice, especially in this industry. And it's just too high of a cost. And, you know, in exec talking about it's all labor costs, all this money. And meanwhile, you know, what have you done for these games? You know, are you aware of all the different, Types of people that it takes to make this happen? Probably not. Well, I do want to bring something up. I mean, this is crunch time is not just exclusive to the game industry. You know, I've got a couple friends that were former artists for Disney of their animated films. And, you know, they've had crunch time over the years all the way back into like you know, Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and all that when those films were being made. So you know, it's not exclusive to the game industry. Uh, it's in all of corporate America. And uh, unfortunately, that is a reality. So the only way that we're going to get it to a situation where this abuse that's occurring, I mean, I haven't looked enough into the uh, alleged abuse of what's occurring in the gaming industry, right, to talk too much onto it. But it, it kind of gets to a point where you're not going to really have any change, like complaining about Naughty Dog and alleged abuse towards employees and crunch time. It's happening all around. So unless you have Overall national change on policies within gaming studios and overall corporate atmosphere, nothing's going to change. And that's why I bring up, you know, if you don't like the situation, there's plenty of independent studios. And if you're a good enough coder, you can get some other coders and make your own indie game and you can get your own studio up and running. I mean, it's it's easier said than done. That is an option. You do have that ability to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, there is a third option there that you didn't mention, which is you could unionize. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like just like SAG, just like the gaffers and uh, uh, all the uh, in my own industry, all the radio DJs who are, you know, part of SAG Afra and whatever else. Um, Revsven, Padre. Your take. Uh, I My only thing is like to, to John's point, you know, and we don't have any like evidence of what exactly like we keep hearing about the abuse and stuff during crunch time, like the, the uh, horrible working conditions. Jason Schreier's article goes very deep. Oh, OK. Well, yeah. I, I actually do recommend, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of Jason Schreier and his conduct online, um, <laughs> but his art, his his article that uh, his expose on Naughty Dog was very excellently done. Um, Could you give a little like a few points that you might have pulled from that article. Uh, kind of give us a little more detail. Yeah, like the, the, abuse. the the big thing was the um, compensation, the um, working off clock was a big thing. Uh, poor management, management so bad, uh, management that was allegedly so bad that I mean, like I, I stated earlier, they ran out of people in the games industry for animation. Like no, all like their animation team left, and they were bringing in people from like. Pixar and DreamWorks and stuff like that to try to finish the animations. Um, yeah, it's uh, let me see. I believe this is one of his last ones when he was at Kotaku. 
being um, human resources that like is very unsettling about the clocked out pay uh, yeah, like working out without being clocked out well it it depends i mean are these guys on clock or are they on salary because if you're on salary that's a totally different conversation we're having well exactly. salary not salary non-exempt or salaried exempt because there's also the there there's also the idea of i mean did they did, was this presented in the contract that they would possibly have to do this uh, because I mean, they I mean, we don't know. I mean, unless it's in this article, we don't know the terms of the contracts on which they signed. Did they agree to these terms? I mean, because if not, they, I mean, if they didn't agree to do stuff like this, and then they should have renegotiated their contracts to explicitly exclude this from their work. And if they didn't, then that just means it was poor negotiations on their part. I hate to be like the you know the playing devil's advocate for the industry guy but it i mean in the end you've got to look out for your best interest as a contractor if you if you go in there and you don't have anything in there saying hey you know you know we will not have you work off the clock and you sign that piece of paper you've you've signed the contract i mean it now but if there is something in there if you make sure there's something in there about not having to work off clock then they're in breach of contract you know then the studio would be in breach contract you would be you'd be much better off so it's like is this a whole bunch of people that are just trying to get their foot in the door in the gaming industry and are just taking whatever they can get without even looking i don't know but the idea that they it's is or isn't in the contract somewhere i mean at, at what point does that kind of fall back on the people to make sure that they have their expectations set when they go into that job and to and to rev's point i mean this is for industry and when you get to a salary point or a contract point you do have room to negotiate for a job when you're going into it if you are that qualified going into it they're going to want you no matter what so there are certain terms that you can get in there maybe you want a little higher compensation maybe you want to have it to where you know you have friday off or something there's little things that you can negotiate into a contract before going in and signing that dotted line that are going to make it a little bit better for you the bonuses i mean are these people getting bonuses do we know that the, the problem with all that is that all of that is dictated, you know, by the studio. And for the most part, like to make games, people are lining up out the door to make games. So if if you want special treatment, you better move along because there's somebody else who will do it for this. But can they do uh, it? As good? That applies into that's the uh, question. Can they do it as well? Because that's what we're talking about is is negotiating what you know your self worth is as, as a part of that project. That's what I'm saying. Is this just a bunch of people just trying to get their foot in the door with the games? I don't know if it would if they would even go as far as to hire people that weren't at least qualified for such a you know in demand title as Last of Us Two. But I, if you're if you're good at what you do. And you have the proof there. You can negotiate that stuff. And and you know, like like uh, John said earlier, you know, there are there are other studios you can go work for if they don't want to come to terms with your uh, with your negotiations on what you have to bring to the table. You could take it to another studio. Would you be able to make as much? Maybe not. But you also wouldn't be running yourself into the ground and getting cut later on, anyways. Well, and then it, there's the, the other part that was uh, point that was made too is that they were bringing in folks from Pixar and animators along those lines. So. Bringing in top tier animators, so they're not bringing in just uh, when they're running out anybody on the street. They're bringing in top guys. But that sounds like that's there's a difference between being a video game animator because there's more programming to that than being like a CGI yeah. animator for. It, it's kind of like being the difference between being a cameraman for a news team and a cameraman for Hollywood. Um, you know, those those are two totally different skill sets. You know. Uh, to you know my friends who are photojournalists for local news teams have totally different skill sets than my friends who went on to be filmmakers um 
Yeah, and uh, kind of reading through Jason Schreier's article here, a lot of the crunch time isn't even uh, based on the issue of, oh, this is just labor intensive. It's also bad management. It's, well, before this can be sent off to this team member who this team member is going to have to wait here all night until this is approved by this manager. Well, this manager already left at 5 p.m. Right. So it's it's a lot of the bad management workflow stuff that uh, is also rampant throughout Naughty Dog. Again, Jason Schreier's article is excellent to this. And, you know, uh, it's very much worth a read. Um, And this I mean, this is a a conversation that gets debated endlessly right now. Uh, Since since Schreier put this article out in March of this year, um, we don't go a week without without hearing about this, this particular topic, especially uh, because the the studio in question was you know they just put out their biggest release probably for the next two three years um but sorry to interrupt and interject there was there any other points that need to be made here no not on my end we all good probably we probably go hours on this yeah it's (laughs) it's such a heavy messy topic with so many twists and turns and in i mean you can even get you know i i hate to say it's a political topic but it kind of is it can kind of get political um you know in terms of of workers rights and stuff like that my position on on that is you know unions are better than the government <laughs> so if that's uh if that's the route you want to go that's the route you can go <laughs> And it's not like it hasn't been done. Like all the voice yeah. actors and stuff, they're all unioned. Yeah. Well, in almost every trade in Hollywood is is union. You know, if your your actors, your voice actors, you know, people in radio have their own union. Um, gaffers and you know techs and you know stagecraft workers, they all have unions um, because of of you know, the uh, horrendous abuse that the that the film industry had in the 1930s, 40s and 50s, which there's some wild stories there for anyone who's interested in finding that stuff. Can even look into like the sports industry if the players associations that are tied to it. I mean, there's always every what, five, 10 years, you've got contract negotiations and it's going to benefit the players and such. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would agree with that point, man, that if the gaming industry does unionize. That would be beneficial for a lot of these uh, these workers. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's face facts. People are going to buy the game, even if it's a little bit later because they didn't have to, you know, they're, they weren't allowed to do a crunch, uh, crunch time. Look at cyberpunk. People are still, I mean, that game's been put back, a, you know, on a few different occasions and people are still chomping at the bit to play it. So it's not like yeah. getting a, you know, a union together to make sure that people don't have to go through these conditions to be able to put a game out the way they want. First off, you eliminate quality issues. Well, you don't eliminate, you reduce quality issues right there because you're not putting them through that stress. And then two, again, People aren't going to say, oh, well, they pushed it back too far. I've lost interest. If it's a game big enough, they're they're going to still buy it. Mm-hmm. The last of us, too, was pushed off, what, two months or so? And I mean, it still yeah. sold four million copies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would have bought last of us, too, in November. Would I have been disappointed? Sure. But I was still going to buy it. Yeah. So um, kind of looking at our clock here. Uh, I think we should probably move on. Um, I wanted to get some collecting tips from you guys because you guys are collectors. Um, collecting can be expensive. <laughs> <laughs> collecting can be uh, pretty fucking expensive. So I was kind of curious what kind of tips you guys had uh, that you could share with the folks here um, on how they can save some money while collecting. 
Fine, I'll, I'll divvy that one up to you. I mean, you're the collector out of us, right? All right, so uh, my biggest collecting advice is to befriend somebody with a giant video game collection behind him. And uh, that's the cheapest way to do it. But if you're in short <laughs> supply of, you know, close proximity collector friends, uh, I think that really, if you're going to be a collector, you've got to be somebody who wants to play that collection. So probably stay away from buying all the new big shiny titles that come out when they come out and use that savings to buy other games and actually play those games. And then you can get to those shiny new games when, you know, they get cheaper down the road. I feel like if you want to be a collector and be playing those games actively in your collection, it's hard to make time for that in a busy world. But it's even harder to make time for that if you're always buying what's new. So Ryan and I actually had this question posed to us on a podcast on Sunday that we were on. And one of the things that I had mentioned was set a goal you're going to collect. So whether that's current generation titles or whether that is Atari or Dreamcast or whatever it may be, set the goal and the expectations. Because if you're looking to get into Sega Saturn, uh, well, you know, get some toilet paper ready because it's it's going to be a mess at that point. Uh, just seeing those prices right now. So as far as collecting tips are concerned, you know, the first thing is set a goal. When I started collecting, my initial goal was I wanted to get every single PlayStation 1, 2, and at that time, just PlayStation 1 and 2 RPG that had been released. So that was really my ultimate goal, and it still is. I don't have every RPG because they've increased in price, but over the years, I have found them at lower price points. And that's really a lot of it, too, is patience. So don't do an impulse buy of, say, Panzer Dragoon Saga for $1,500 on eBay. Are there other games that you could play that you're going to get just just as much enjoyment out of? Just putting $1,500 towards a title just to be able to add it on your shelf and have disc rot, you know, four years later. So, goals, patience, and then obviously buy low, sell high. So try and find collections. Uh, One thing to do is negotiate with people when you're buying. So if you're at a flea market and you see some premier titles you want and they're saying hey i want to you know it's four dollars a game and say okay well can i get them for you know three for 12 or, or not three for 12 sorry uh four for 12 you know try and drop it down a buck there's little things you can do while you're looking for uh different titles and while you're hunting are going to not only save you a dollar but they're going to help you out with overall building the collection so when i bring up that example of say uh, a four for 12 situation could have had three games for $12 or you drop them all a buck and now you've looking, you're looking at four. So it's little things like that I've picked up over the years, uh, asking people if they have other games. So if one of the big collections I picked up recently uh, that was, it's on our Instagram and our Twitter, is probably around the neighborhood of about six or $7,000 worth of video games. And I paid probably 25% retail on that. And the, the whole reason that even happened was I had picked up a collection from the same guy. It was about $200 in PS2 games. And I just asked a simple question of, do you have more games that you're looking to sell? He's like, oh yeah, I've got a whole garage. So, I mean, like, it's, it's a rare occurrence that something like that happens. But the fact that I pretty much purchased a garage full of this guy's games just because of one particular question is, you know, a ton of value. Uh, one of the other uh, pieces of factor in as well is... Um, uh, just look for little gems 
when you're collecting. Uh, look for stuff that's similar. So if it's you know, if you're into Mario games, look for other platformers that maybe a little cheaper in the same generation. So those are things that, you know, and, and forward thinking buying, I guess, too. So what I say by that or what I mean by that is looking at games that right now might be three or four bucks. And while there is speculation and while you are just kind of picking up a title to add to your shelf, my mindset has always been, why would I want to pay $50 four years from now for the same game that I could pick up right now for five bucks? And that has time and time again beneficial for me i've got four or five rpgs i picked up on the wii probably five years ago that at the time were ten dollars that they're now sitting at 60 bucks so it's little things like that that you have to think about while you're collecting it's not a matter of the right now it's a matter of the future and it's a matter of the present of you know in what i can negotiate not necessarily can i buy right now but what can i negotiate currently gotcha um so I'm sure you get this question as well, but when do you decide to part with something? Well, obviously I don't. Uh, so it, I honestly don't sell my games unless it's a duplicate. And that's typically a situation where I'm trying to break even on a lot. So if I paid a you know, hundred bucks for a lot and for three games I already owned, I'm going to try to sell those three games to try and make up the, the fact that I, I paid a hundred bucks. So that's part of it too. But I guess it really comes down to the current situation right now with GameCube. GameCube games are through the roof. Games that were $15, $20, not too long, are sitting at $60 to $80 right now. So if you don't plan on playing those games and you're trying to make a quick buck, then yeah, you might be, want to take advantage of the market sell those titles and get off of it but to just kind of sell a game for the, the fact of selling it it's just not something i've ever personally done gotcha gotcha um anything uh mr green rev that you wanted to ask these guys about about their collection or how they collect or oh it's really cool though really interesting it was it was really interesting insight on basically like just jump on it just jump on it get it and see what happens you know it's like you said it's better to pay five bucks for it now than 50 in a few years i was doing the same thing with pop funkos for a while and then uh they started releasing ungodly amounts of them that are just hard to collect all of them so i was like you know what i'm done here this is like the tie beanie babies of the the new generation and <laughs> i'm just i'm not i'm done <laughs> well and, and the thing with collecting is collecting goes through phases of generations and of a nostalgia effect right so what might have been popular 15 years ago is not as popular as, say gamecube games are right now or sega saturn so you're kind of in that nostalgia phase where people have a little more expendable money they can put towards some of those titles and of course that increases the overall value so there's a lot of former gamecube players that are just jumping back in uh because they want to collect gamecube same thing with n64 same thing with ps1 ps2 so i've always been several generations ahead on that so when something say like the nes was like i started collecting ps2 for example when the nes was one of just those top systems that everybody's trying to find snes and nes games i was out there finding ps2 games that are now sitting at 400 dollars. so that's just part of it staying ahead of it being ahead of a trend and really putting down that that goal that you have so one of the things i'm currently collecting are ps4 vr games I don't anticipate that being something that's going to have a lot of physical media down the road, 
Uh, I feel a lot of them are limited print. There's a lot of exclusives out there that were specific to certain retailers. So one of those being Paranormal Activity uh, for the PS4, that was exclusive to Best Buy. That's not a game that was in mass production, specifically to Best Buy. Uh, probably a super limited print run, considering it was one retailer. And it's something that I feel might increase in value down the road. So looking at that now, it's I could pick it up for 15, 20 bucks now. Or I can pick it up for, I think it's actually going up to like 35 to 40 bucks brand new on eBay. So you're like the Gary V of game collecting instead of baseball cards. It's, it's, a, it's you're, just jump, so. yeah. you're, you're jumping the trends and getting those games. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the way to look at it. I mean, obviously not everybody is going to be doing that. A lot of people are still looking for retro titles that they can jump on to and they're, they're thinking, all right, well, I'll get to that later. But I mean, there's, I picked up recently two games on PS4 that were one of them being Gravity Rush, which I think is sitting at about 120 for a used copy. And uh, Godzilla, which I think is sitting at about 150 on the PS4. Two games that were actually, I want to say Godzilla is just limited print run, but Gravity Rush was exclusive to Amazon. It had a couple print runs. It was put into, you know, out onto uh, Amazon Prime, and that was it. It was done. So it, it's little things like that. You kind of have to have some knowledge on what's out there and uh, you know, anticipate what's going to be occurring in the market, you know, five, 10 years from now. And of course, it is that crystal ball type of situation. You don't know if it's going to be a value or not. I'm sure there's games I'm picking up now for 20 bucks that are going to stay 20 bucks for the remainder of their lifespan. Um, you know, but there are situations where you pick up a low end copy and it does go up in value down the road. Excellent. Any other points that you want to that you want to put out there? Any other thoughts, questions, guys? Uh, don't get into collecting. So that way there's less competition for me. Uh, that would be my key point. Of course. <laughs> of course. Stay off eBay. But, but no, in, in all seriousness, stay off eBay. No bids. Don't don't do sniping. Uh, no, I think just one thing. My key point is it's expensive. It's a crazy expensive hobby to get into. Uh, a lot of what I've picked up, I've picked up in large lots that I've picked up over the years. A lot of pretty much almost all this behind me was not picked up at a retail price point. I've always had a rule of thumb of not picking up anything uh, for more than about 33% of a value unless I really want it. So what, what that means is if there's a $100 title retail floating around, I'm trying to pay 33 bucks on that title. I'm not looking to pay 60 or 70 bucks. I want it for $33. And if I don't get it for that price point, I'm willing to wait and take the risk that that does go up further or it potentially goes down. Awesome. Um, I think we should move on to our next topic here. One of our last topics, which is the steam summer sale suggestions. Um, of course it is time to empty out our wallets, uh, for valve all hail valve. Um, I figure we'll go one to two recommendations here from each of us on, um, what you guys think people should pick up or if you guys are picking up anything, what you guys are picking up. Uh, we're going to go, let's go Mr. Green elite this time around. All right. So, uh, all hail the glorious Gabe. Um, we're going to go ahead. Uh, my suggestion is any of the Assassin's Creed titles, like one, like one through black flag. Uh, uh, they're all like relatively cheap under $10. Um, and then, uh, Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order is like I think ten percent off or twenty percent off, uh, which is relatively cheap. So I, I enjoy all those games. So that's what I recommend. Oh, and uh, 
uh, Grand Theft Auto Five. If you for some reason missed it on the Epic Steam sale or the Epic uh, uh, Mega sale, it is for sale for fourteen ninety nine. All right, um, let's bring it back to John. So uh, Skyrim. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, you could pick up Skyrim on a rock at this point. Uh, I would say I haven't honestly looked at the Steam sale too much. Um, I do believe Dark Souls 2 and 3 were on there for sale uh, at a discounted rate. So if you could pick up the Dark Souls series 1 through 3, that would be my recommendation. It's a fantastic series. Uh, If you're looking for crazy amount of gameplay we got into that topic of 60 70 hours i mean you could easily put 120 hours into each of those games and not even feel like you put that much time in just the sheer amount of grinding uh the boss battles the uh the technicality that's involved figuring out patterns for different bosses and different enemies throughout just a lot that goes into those games plus the lore that's tied behind that series and the overall story so looking for true value and something that's going to take quite a bit of your time uh, Dark Souls 1 through 3. All right, let's uh, go to Padre. Uh, so I uh, I don't know necessarily what to recommend, but I will to sell, I will say what I picked up. Uh, I picked up Digimon Cyber Sleuth Complete Edition, um, originally $50 marked down to 30 Yes, 30. Uh, and then I also actually just a few minutes ago, I had something else in mind, but I decided to go with uh, something you mentioned because I've had it recommended to me before. But uh, Super Meat Boy is now on sale for like $2.38 or some some <laughs> obscure number like that. It's a uh, let's see. It it got marked down pretty. Or no, OK, no, it's uh, it's two ninety nine marked down from fourteen ninety nine. So it's yeah, 80 percent off right now. Um but with that, they also have you can actually get the indie game, the movie bundle. It comes with uh, this game plus a few others, and it actually is only running for thirteen uh, thirteen forty four. So I actually is I'm picking up that instead. But yeah, you yeah. seen that movie that's tied to it? Yeah, I have. That's a good one. I enjoyed that. Yeah, Phil Fish comes off as a dick, but doesn't he always? <laughs> <laughs> um, Ryan. What uh okay, so good. Got three. I got Half-Life Alex, because if if you own VR and you haven't played that game, like you gotta. It's it's the new, it's the Mario 64 of VR. It's totally amazing. Uh the next one, I I saw Hunt Showdown on there, and that's a game that I thought looked really interesting when I saw trailers for it. I haven't heard anything about it, so I don't know. That looks cool. It's on sale. You save 18 bucks. Then finally, I'd say Valkyria Chronicles 4 Complete Edition. That's $33 off. Like, that's a screaming deal. If you haven't played any of the Valkyria Chronicles games, it's a pretty interesting uh, tactical RPG. I've not really seen anything else like before. It's got great visuals and of an interesting world i i didn't play very much of this i played some of the demo and never picked it up i mean that's a really good deal to get for something that i think is probably worth you know more than the 17 dollars that they're charging now excellent 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 um in terms of hunt showdown i that's a game that i've been interested in i just haven't really pulled the trigger on it um i was i was paying attention to it when it came out and it seemed a little rougher on the edges, so I was kind of waiting. 
Um, I haven't really checked it out in the last couple months to see what what state it's in, but it does seem it looks really cool. Um, and I have watched people play. It seems like a fun time. Um, games that I'm picking up on the Steam Summer Sale this year. Um, Fallout 4. I haven't played it yet. I have watched so many playthroughs and streams of Fallout 4. I know what I'm getting into. Um, I I was already disappointed with it when it was released. Uh, and all the things that I saw with Fallout 4. Um, so I know what to expect with it. But it's $8.99 right now. I figure I'm doing Fallout Fridays on the stream right now playing New Vegas. Um, I might as well pick up Fallout 4 and, and have that ready to play and then i have never played bioshock one or two they're uh, both remasters are on sale for 4.99 so uh i'm definitely gonna pick those up because i feel like i have to i feel like it's right up my alley and it's a game those are that's a game series i should try out for sure so great price yeah uh, that's what i thought too i'm like remastered for for five dollars which um, I think I'm coming out of this spending under $20 for three games for two, what I understand, high quality games and one kind of mech game. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else on the Steam Summer Sale that we need to talk about? Uh, I was going to mention Steam Summer Sale, but I think GameStop right now still has a flash sale going on till midnight tonight of uh, buy two $14.99 games and get two for free. So okay. I just want to bring that up for anybody listening. All right, uh, green. Undertale is sixty-six percent off. It's three dollars and thirty some cents. Thirty thirty-nine cents, I think. If you if you haven't get it, yeah, and then it's. I mean, if you once you beat Undertale, uh, Delta Rune is free. Um, and that's kind of like a spiritual successor by the uh, creator of Undertale. Um, so one event that or one more thing that I was going to mention here but I don't ha- um, have a title for it. Uh, Bandai Namco has an event uh, that they are going to uh, do a bunch of game announcements for. So mark your calendars if you're interested in this. It's going to be uh, streamed on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook. Um, it's going to show games, for, uh, showcase games from the publisher for their console, PC, and mobile titles. It's going to be focused on almost exclusively anime titles and it's scheduled for July 22nd, 4 p.m. Pacific time. So if that is something you're interested in, make sure you mark your calendar for that. Um, yeah, anything else that we need to talk about before we uh, kind of end the show here? We need to talk about how two of the gentlemen on the podcast are wearing hats in the dark and indoors. <laughs> I have a shitty hairline, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot to turn the lights on in the room and the sun has set. Yeah, I uh, I have just one light here, and then the rest of my apartment is in darkness. So I I feel you there. Um, I've been like debating this whole time about turning it on, and I was like, no, no, just leave it. You look mysterious. Like does <laughs> the ambiance is is uh, amazing. Um, so John Ryan, for anyone who might have uh, missed the beginning of the show, why don't you tell the kind folks out there who you guys are, what you do, and where people can find it, including all your social media links. And you got so, this one. I did the intro. Yeah. So we're the Game Deflators, and on our podcast, we usually like to talk about games that we've recently picked up, games that we're currently playing, and then every week we pick one of 
John's games and run it through our vigorous inflation deflation challenge where we decide after playing it for a while like is this game worth the money that it's going for right now and we looked at price price charting and we give you a little bit of like eh, this is kind of like where it's been kind of where it's going is now the time to onboard for this game and uh, we do that every week on all of your favorite podcast applications and of course, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So at Game Deflators on Twitter and at The Game Deflators on Instagram and Facebook. Excellent. I dropped a link in the live chat. Um, we will uh, also drop a link to their Spotify and to their Twitter in the description of this episode. Uh, Green Elite, what's coming up on your channel? I only be playing with my Go XLR most of the time. Like I'm, I'm just gonna sit here and like slide the slideies. Like I, I, I don't even know if like I'm gonna stream like games. Like, I'm just gonna like shape the camera to the to the slideies and just watch people or have people watch me like finger the slides. ASMR as you yeah. stroke oh, your boy. thirty as you stroke Back your monitor. So. Yeah, just, tool camera just sitting there just two hands so green if you really like playing with sliders boy do i have a job for you we're always looking for board ops where i work <laughs> oh my <laughs> i may be in the market but yeah uh, you can catch me on twitch twitch.tv forward slash mr green elite um you can find me on all my socials uh facebook instagram twitter uh only fans uh, hit me up i'm only but yeah. <laughs> so what comes with the only no, fans my premium is premium it's like mainly just pictures no. like up close pictures of my sumo tail but I mean if you get the extra premium we can work things out yeah yeah he'll he'll let you do facetime with the sumo tail uh Padre what's coming up on your channel um so I'm going to be uh coming back on Thursday I'm going to be doing the not for broadcast lockdown special uh, and then after that, I'm probably going to go ahead and start Digimon Cyber Sleuth and see how I feel about that. Um, after that, I've got like a backlog of games. I've got to play through um, Song of the Hero. Um, oh, what was the other one? It was called uh, Across the Grooves and uh, Fury Unleashed. They're all a bunch of indie titles, of course. But that's what I have coming up as of right now. Awesome. Awesome. Um and then your Twitter and and all those, all those uh, socials. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All my socials are Revspin TV, and you can find me at twitch.tv forward slash Revspin. Excellent. Um, coming up on my channel. Uh, let's see. Probably be doing Fallout Friday. I, I won't be streaming tomorrow. Um, I'll be doing Fallout Friday on Thursday this week because I'll be out of town on Friday and throughout the weekend. Um. I don't know what else I'll be doing. Probably some Minecraft on Monday. Um, kind of the bog standard stuff for the stream. Um, we are in uh, talks with some other folks about doing some guest appearances on uh, other shows and other uh, streams. So be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at uh, Danny K D A N I E C A E um, for all those announcements. When you guys, uh, when I'm when I'm able to uh, show that stuff off for you. Um, 
other than that, you guys, you can find the uh, podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on YouTube if you want the VOD. We sincerely appreciate all of you guys for joining us here and taking the time to watch and listen. Uh, we hope that we have entertained and informed you guys uh, to the best of our abilities. Um, also wanted to shout out our friend Lou Merck, who provides the music for the show, both the intro and the ad music. Go check him out on uh, Twitch, Twitter, Spotify, all the places uh, and soundcloud um before we go i wanted to put out the question again uh for our youtube audience what is the worst game you bought on a sale uh go on ahead and put that in the comments of this youtube video and uh if it's really good we might even talk about it on <laughs> on the next episode. Um, of course, if you guys want to support the show, the best way to do it is to tell your friends. Uh, tell your friends about the show. Tweet us out. All that wonderful stuff. Uh, for all you... For all of our fellow Americans out there, enjoy your 4th of July. Keep your fingers and keep fighting the good fight. We'll see you guys later. Bye. We appreciate you listening to the show. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about what we do. 